welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And a quick note here, guys, because of the late nights it would cause whenever the Pistons played on Mondays, if you see a Monday game on the schedule for Detroit, we will probably record those on Tuesday evenings, dropping on Wednesday. So if you get a Monday Pistons game, just hang tight with us. We'll record those on Tuesday, drop on Wednesday. But we are excited for the episode today because we had the pleasure of being joined by Pistons Vice Chairman Arn Tellum. And we're going to start off the episode with that interview right after this. We are very pleased to have a guest on today. We're being joined by Pistons Vice Chairman and former agent Aaron Tellum. He was going to talk to us a little bit about the Pistons before things get started here soon. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. No, nice to be with you, Amari. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just to lead off first, I mean, obviously this is an exciting time for the the team with Kate being back. You know, Monty Williams just for the organization, just kind of talking to people, where's the excitement level at for you and just the expectation of what this team can do this season? We're super excited. This may be the most excited I've been since I've gotten here. I've been here now eight years, but one, we have a new coach in Monty Williams. And I think we got the right coach at the right time for this team. And I think the best possible coach for this team. So and kudos to Tom Gores and Troy Weaver for making this all happen, especially Tom, who um, would not take no for an answer uh, and really uh, encouraged us to get the very best for us, for the, for the Pistons and for, this, you know, for, the, for our fans and for the city. Two, Kate is back. So that's a huge difference. Uh, we're very excited to see him. He's healthy. He's really a great summer playing on USA basketball. He really looks good. We're excited to see him play. And I think that's going to be a huge difference. The, the continued development of Jaden Ivey and Jalen Durant, they both had great rookie seasons. I think they're both poised to take a big step this year. And then obviously adding Asar Thompson, a great young rookie prospect who has shown he's mature beyond his years. A great defensive player. We need help there. He's multi-positioned. He's really super athletic. And I think the sky's the limit for him. So we're excited to see him on the court. And then we added some key veterans. We didn't make many major moves, but we added some key veterans. That was important. Springs, he's a great player, a solid, you know, veteran, which we need. We need some veterans on this team. And he provides something that, you know, we, you know, we've, we continue to need is shooting. He's a great shooter, one of the premier three-point shooters. I think that's going to be really important. He knows how to play. I think he's already had a positive impact in the locker room and as far as, as, as we try to build culture. Monte Morris, another good veteran, which hopefully will help Cade and give him some relief. And the nice thing about him, he has Michigan roots from Flint. And, uh, and we know, so we know he's a tough, competitive kid. And I think he also will provide some veteran uh, leadership that we need uh, and experience. So I think that th- those are all positive. And then I think it's also going to be interesting. I think this is the deepest team and the, that we've had since I've been here, which is interesting because it's going to be very competitive. And I think competition also pushes players to be the best they can be. 
And another thing I would like to add is I think Monty has a terrific staff. And we love Monty Williams, but I think one of his strengths is beyond his, you know, the, to me, the most impressive thing about Monty when we talked to him was his, you know, I always heard about his character and leadership and just his, you know, smarts and the way he can communicate and really develop young players. But credit to him for, develop, you know, having a very good staff that he empowers. And, and I think that's also important. They do a lot of teaching. And uh, I think it's been, so I think we've had a good summer of working with the players and I'm really optimistic about this season. You know, we have hope. That's the key here. And hope is the lifeblood of a professional sports team. And, you know, I know it's, you know, when you go through this, Troy calls it a restoring process. You know, these things typically take four to five years uh, when you start fresh like we did. Much that depends on the draft because really that's, you know, we have to build through the, that's the, the main way you got to develop your core of talent. And I think now we have that young core. We have a good young core. It's going to be exciting to see where they go. So I know it was a long answer, but <laughs> in, in short, we're very excited about the season for a lot of reasons, starting with the coach and our young core of players and the veterans we've added. You know, we didn't talk about, you know, the, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich and Stewart and, Obviously, we have great depth at the center position with Bagley and Wiseman behind Duran. So I think we're, it's going to be a really fun year. You know, I, I make a comparison. I love the Lions, and I love where the Lions are this year. I think it's very exciting. I think we're going to be like the Lions last year. I think we're going to show that we're on our way. That's really where I feel. I'm very optimistic. A lot depends on health, as we know. But I'm very optimistic going into the year that we're going to provide excitement it's going to be really interesting to see where these players go. But I think our the arc of this team now is very positive. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to be a really, really good competitive team for many years to come. Arn, you mentioned the draft with Asar, Marcus Sasser, but it was a bit quieter of an offseason overall. You mentioned Joe Harris and Monte Morris. What was kind of the priority of the offseason? And do you feel like you fulfilled that priority with kind of the direction you wanted to go this offseason? Uh, most definitely, and I'll tell you why. One is, from the player standpoint, so, I'm gonna, so let's start there because we, you know, we can talk about the coach, which I think was the most important thing, is getting the right coach for, the, for this team. And I think we exceeded our expectations by getting Monty because uh, we didn't have any... When we started this process, we didn't think Monty would be, even be available. And to get him was a huge, huge addition uh, because you need leadership, you need someone at the top. And I think with Monty... We got that for many years to come. Two, I think our whole strategy has been to continue to develop this young core. So it started with the draft. And getting Asar Thompson, I think, was very important. He's a multi-position player with great promise, great, great character, highly intelligent, uh, fits the type of player that Troy and Monty want and believe that we need to make up this team. Superative, can play multi-positions, and already, and already has a great feel for how to play defense. Very intense defender, can play defend anyone on the court pretty much. And I know that was very important to Monty and to Troy. And I think Asar is going to be one of the top rookies in this league and has a great future ahead of him. So that was important. And then adding some key, and Sasser also, in, as from the draft, I think, you know, Monty and Troy really loved him. And we wanted, we, we, and when Troy, you know, when we were discussing at the draft, they said, let's go for it. Let's make the move to go. I supported and endorsed the move to give up the picks, the future second round picks 
to make sure we got him because they believed in him so much. And he's a little guard, but he can shoot. He's, he's an unbelievable, tenacious, tenacious defender. And he's going to be a very good player for us. With the, with the veterans that we added, the key is we wanted to keep cap space. That was our strategy. At some point, we didn't see it, we didn't see it this year, but there may be opportunities next summer and the year after where we could go after that free agent. And we wanted to make sure we had our, you know, our, our cap space available to do that. Uh, we just didn't want to make a lateral move or bring someone into a high salary and kill our cap space unless it was that special player. And there weren't really any out there. But we were able to add some very key veterans that filled you know, some important position for us. One, Joe Harris. You, know, you, you can't have enough shooting and veteran leadership and someone who's just a great team guy. Great brings, adds to the, contributes to the culture. Everyone loves Joe. And I think he's going to be a great addition for us. I think he was, he's, he was undervalued because he had had some injuries, but he looks great. I think he's recovered. And I think that will be a really great addition for us. Monte Morris gives us some, gives us the same thing in the backward, a veteran guard who doesn't commit turnovers, who makes solid play, can help the young guards show them the right way to play and is very competitive. That's again, Troy and Monte's sort of vision of what the, we need as far as the type of team we're putting out there. So I think small moves, but very important. As I said before, the team is going to be super going to be, there's a lot of comp, there's more competition on this team for minutes than ever before, which I think is a good thing. And the key thing for us, which I hope everyone appreciates is that we needed to keep cap space for a potential bigger move next summer. And that we did. And, and there are going to be some interesting players available next summer. And we want to be able to throw our hat and ring to, to maybe if they're available to compete for them. Because if this is the young core, then we, we, once we know we have the young core, we feel good about it, and, I do, and we do, then you can go add a significant piece to that team. And I don't believe, well, I do believe, I do believe very strongly that we can attract a great free agent who on our timeline, on our timeline, let me say, sort of this similar age, maybe a little bit older, but not too much older, but on our time, I believe we can attract it because we have that young core. Someone will work because they know we're on the bird with, with the coach we have, with the young core we have, with the front office led by Troy Weaver. I think we have the makings that uh, will be very attractive to a, uh, to a, to a veteran to come here and uh, be that missing piece for this team. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned this is the most excited you've been. And of course, you've been here in Detroit for eight years. How much of that excitement, of course, you have the, the coach hired with Monty Williams and all the young players. How much of that excitement is generated just because of what could come as well, having wide open books and you have, you know, one of the younger teams at the NBA, probably, you know, what, seven, eight, nine guys on, on, on rookie deals. Is it a joint package just knowing that things could turn around pretty quickly with the flexibility this team has going forward? Yeah, I mean, look, the hardest thing is, <laughs> which we all know is patience. The hardest thing for any front office uh, ownership for the fans is patience. Uh, we all want to, you know, win immediately, but that is so hard to do. And our fans have been patient, but I think the fans see that we're headed in the right direction. And with the coach, and that's why I started with the, you know, getting Monty. It showed everyone that we're all in to do this right. We wanted the right coach. We got him. And credit to Tom Gores for doing what he had to do to get Monty Williams to be the head coach. Tom deserves 
all the credit, in my opinion, for really pushing all of us to make sure we got him and not give up even after he had said no the first time he was going to sit out the year. The second thing is, I think everyone understands that, you know, sometimes when you have a draft, you know, like with Cleveland, they were very fortunate. There is that generation that comes along and they get LeBron James. That changes the direction of a team overnight. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And you can continue to, and you continue to add real good young talent And that's what we're doing. We hope there's a few players. We believe Kate is going to be an all-star level, potentially all we believe an all-pro player in time. And we think we have other players like Ivy, Duran, Asar that could be those players too. We just now have to see that play out over the next few years. And, And that's what really this year is all about to us. We just want these players to be the best that they can be. And whether that's And that could take one year, two years, but we see the arc of this team. And that's, to me, what's very positive. And what's exciting is I did say, yes, we're managing it in a way. We're managing it. We've been careful and disciplined to not to hold our powder dry. So we we see that final opportunity to add that missing piece. So we can assess what we have and then decide if that missing piece is out there, we can add it in free agency or maybe even by trade. And we didn't want to jump the gun and do that before we know and really had an evaluation of where we are with these players. And uh, I think we're, in, we're, I know it's hard. We want, we want to win as soon as possible, but I do, I believe our arc is extremely positive. We're going to have a very good run for a long time now. And we just now have to see this team, make, you know, continue to progress, develop, and it's, and we're well under, we're, you know, well on our way. Um, you've brought up Cade Cunningham a, t- a couple times now, Arn, and I know you spoke a little bit to this summer playing with Team USA, but can you just speak to how Cade has looked coming off that injury? And even more so, we talk a lot about on the podcast, Arn, what we feel like Cade is intangibly for this organization as a leader. And that's just me looking from afar. I don't know if there's truth to that or not, but maybe you could speak on that as well. Just what you've seen from him on the court, but also what Cade needs maybe off the court, just as the organization as a whole. Cade is an incredible leader. One, he's smart. He reminds me a lot, maybe a different player, but mentally when I represented Kobe, he has the same basketball IQ. He has studied the game. He knows the game. He watches everything. He's read about the game. He has a great feel. He, he's one of those players that can see see what's going to happen before it happens, like Kobe, like Magic, like Larry Bird. He has that gift. He's a great communicator, which I think is important for a leader. He has empathy for his teammates. He understands them. He knows what they need. He can put himself in their shoes. He has all the, he has all the qualities of a superb leader. He is, for our, for our franchise, you know, the leader of our franchise. He's everything we hoped and more when we drafted him. We're thrilled that he's healthy. And, and he had a great summer. Everyone at USA Basketball thought he was one of the best players there. From a leadership standpoint, from the way he managed the game, from his understanding of the game, the way he communicated with the players, and the way he sort of led the team. And, and that's what he's going to bring to our team. That same, all those same qualities. He brings that every day. And he is also such a good person. So at the core of it, he, is, he has everything. He, he's the whole package to me. And 
and it'll be, I think it's going to be very exciting to see where he goes, how far he goes. And I believe there is, it's unlimited for him. I really do. He has so much potential and he has the size. His body is so good. I mean, he's so strong. He's put on muscle. He's in great condition. I think it's going to be just a fantastic year for him. I think he's going to take a huge step forward. And I think he brings so much. He makes our other players on the team, when he's on the court, better. By him, you know, it's when he gets into the lane, he sees, he, he can see everything and he can, and he can find the open player. So I, anyway, my only point is, at the end, it's, it's going to be, that to me is going to be super exciting for everyone, for all of us. We can't wait to see him on the court hopefully playing, you know, 82 games this year. Absolutely. You talked a little bit about Asar Thompson and, you know, of course, the athleticism, multi-position of what he can do on defense. Uh, there was a lot of wings available at that five spot, a couple of bigs. At what point in the process did it clear that Asar was the guy who was probably going to rise to the, the top and be a difference maker for this team? Well, start, I mean, Troy, from the beginning, loved Asar Thompson. He went down to see him a number of times. So once we knew where we were drafting, he was circled on our board as a prime target. And I know Troy had great interest. We did work out a number of prospects that we took a close look at. But I think that I, I think the, the, the biggest factor for Troy was, and I think everyone agreed with Troy, was one, similar to Cade, but a di- different type of player. One, he's, but uh, he had many strengths. One, he also... It was super intelligent and high character, which is always the first thing we look at, and had a great basketball mind and feel. He has that special quality that you look that, that you have in great players. I mean, he can see the play develop at, before it develops, before it happens. He has a great play, a feel for where he should be on the court and where the players are. He's and the key thing is Troy says we want size, we want multi position, we want athletic players. He touches every, you know, he is super athletic. He can play multi-positions. He can pretty much defend anyone on the court. And he's relentless, which is what Troy and Monte liked. He competes his rear end off when he's on the court. And he's a great team player. He has a, he, 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 he doesn't force shots. He doesn't force anything. He lets the game come to him. And for, for a young player like that at 20, at 20 years old, that's really unusual. So I think for... Troy had his mind on him from the very beginning. When we, when we, when after we got the fifth pick, I know that was, well, he was open-minded to other players. He was pretty much focused. He, he, I think in his heart, he knew that this, this is what, you know, that we were going to be leaning towards uh, Asar. And there were a couple other players that we had that were sort of interesting. But uh, for all those qualities that I mentioned, that's why we chose Asar and why we're thrilled to have him. And, and really, he hasn't disappointed. He's, he's shown all those qualities summer league now you know in the preseason and i think he's going to be a huge contributor to this team for many years Arn, you touched on this a little bit but there is sections of the pistons fan base that's starting to grow a little impatient and wanting to see this restoration sped up what could you say to them or what would you say to them and again you've touched on this a little bit but what would your overwhelming message be to the part of the fan base that maybe is starting to grow a little bit weary or a little bit impatient with where this thing has gone well I understand that, but I think it's interesting that you bring it up. I think the fans, yes, they want us to win, but I think Detroit fans are very smart, and they see we've had more interest ticket-wise, 
and uh, just comments and people involved and calling us and just as we go through the community and talking to people, I think everyone is super excited about the young players in the core. And they know they have to develop and, they're, and, and they know we're on the right path. And I think that's what gives, as I said, we have hope now. And with hope, there comes, yes, there comes expectations. But I think everyone knows that with young players that are still 20, 21 years old, it may take a couple of years before they, they hit their, what, what we're expecting of them. They have to grow. They have to get the experience they need to develop. And it's going to take a couple of years. I think the fans are expecting us to take a step forward. I think we're going to give them that this year. We're going to take a step forward. And they're going to see, it's going to validate what they're feeling. And we want to win. No one wants to win more than all of us in this organization, from Monty to Troy to myself, obviously, and Tom Gorris, most of all. When we all want to win. Everyone that works there, that we, you know, we, we know ultimately we're judged by winning. And we want to win. We don't want to disappoint. We feel responsible to the fans and to the city of Detroit to bring a winner to here, bring a winner here. And we're not going to stop though. But I think you're going to see the key was for us when we did, when we started this process, we want to achieve sustainable success. It's not about just one year. It's about hopefully when we get through this process, we're going to have a, a winning product for seven to 10 years in a row now. And that's what we're trying to achieve here. And so we're asking for a little bit more patience to support this young team, which I think the fans, my sense is the fans are hugely behind this team and are excited about it. And we're on, we're on our way. I really believe we're on our way. And Aaron, we'll let you go with this last one here. Um, you know, of course, the Pistons have been deeply involved in the community, uh, you know, especially here in Detroit proper the last five, six years, whether it's moving back downtown, opening the practice facility and new center. And you've been deeply involved in this pretty much from the start. You know, I guess one, whatever, whatever community projects uh, can fans look forward to from the organization. And then two, just how gratifying has it been to be able to renew a lot of this, the city and, and, and really capitalize on that? Well, when I, I mean, Really, this organization reflects Tom Gorse's ethos that we want to do well by doing good. And the goal is to obviously have success in the court, but we want to have success in the community. And we want to make an impact in the community. And, you know, when I got here, the first this major decision was to move downtown, and which we did, but we just didn't want to play our games downtown. We wanted to move, we wanted to be all in on Detroit and part of its revitalization, which we thought was critical. And so we moved our headquarters and built our practice facility in partnership with Henry Ford, uh, which is our most important partner, Henry Ford Health, who provides an incredible healthcare for our players, but for the community, for this, for the city of the region. To me, they are the premier hospital in this in this area, in Detroit and the region, you know, the metropolitan area of Detroit. They're fantastic. And then we, as part of that, so we moved our 300 employees down to be part of Detroit, to be embedded in the community, to be part of this community. We also, in partnership with Wayne State, we decided we wanted to have our G League team closer to the city of Detroit. I felt that it was important and imperative from a basketball standpoint for the development of our young players that they'd be close so they could train and, and, and grow with our, with our, you know, the parent club. And that if a, if a player got injured on the parent club, they would be able to work out and, and rehab with, uh, with, the, with the G League team. 
Anyway, in partnership with Wayne State, another anchor institution, to me, the best, a great public university, to me, the major university in the city of Detroit. We, we built an arena together to house Wayne State's men's and, and women's basketball team and our G League team. So that was another significant project. As part of the move, we just finished refurbishing 60 basketball courts in 44 parks across the city of Detroit. I mean, uh, the mayor, when we, who has been a great friend to the Detroit Pistons, who really has guided us throughout, guided me throughout, since I got on how to do all these things and accomplish this, uh, and has supported us incredibly, you know, felt, you know, really has, you know, emphasized that the revitalization of Detroit has to extend to the neighborhoods. It wasn't just to the business district. And so we agreed, and we then agreed to that commitment to refurbish these courts to help beautify and activate these parks for the city of Detroit, which it has done. So that was another major move. We've committed millions of dollars to many civic and philanthropic organizations across the city so to improve the lives of young people in the city of Detroit, to give them a foundation for a better future. And we're going to continue to do that. And then recently, we announced two new projects that are major. We committed $20 million, Tom committed $20 million to build a flagship community center in the Cody Rouge area of Detroit, which is going to be a wonderful project for all the people in that neighborhood. And as you know, we've, uh, I think it was a few months ago, or <laughs> I've lost track of this past year, in partnership with our, you know, our most significant partner, Henry Ford Health and Michigan State University, we're committing close to $3 billion to build a new hospital, a destination for health. And what we're doing is building house, residential, affordable housing, uh, retail, green space to create a destination for health. That's going to be a global destination for health and a walkable, integrated neighborhood in the new center of Detroit, which is going to have tremendous impact for the city. So we have many significant projects going. I got to thank Tom Gorris for his incredible help and support because none of this would be possible. It starts with him and helping to execute his vision. And we're doing great things. And, and believe me, we're not going to be, that's, there's more to come after this. We're not stopping with that. We're going to be, our goal has always been to be civically responsible and we're going to do our very best for this city and to, and to really contribute to it. It's, it's a great city with a great history. Detroiters have a great heart. I think everyone is in on, you know, trying to do their part to make, to, to help this city. And uh, we're going to certainly do our part. Absolutely. Well, hey, Aaron, uh, that's all we have for you, but we really appreciate you taking the time out today to talk to us about the, the season. Uh, I mean, just people talking to us, it seems like the excitement level is certainly higher than it's been in the last few years. So we'll see what happens. And again, we appreciate you coming on. Thank no, you. No, I'm really happy to do it with you anytime. And um, I, we, I can't wait. I think we, we all can't wait to see this, what's going to unfold this season. It's going to be really exciting to see the growth of these young players and uh, to see where they go and take us. Thanks again, Arn. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's nice being with both of you. Again, thank you to Arn Tellum for joining us. And after this short break, we'll be back to break down Amari's Detroit Pistons season predictions. I will lead us right into 
our second segment, which is a season prediction segment. So I had a story come out today in the free press. Check it out, where I made six predictions for the season. And we're going to debate all six of my predictions. I'm sure Bryce will disagree on most, if not all of them. So let's get right into it. Uh, my first one is is one I think everybody probably feels differently about, but it's Pistons crack 30 wins. I think that this team has the talent, depth, coaching, everything you need to crack that 30-win threshold. That's how I feel. I don't know. Like, I know people are like, they won 17 last year, but they weren't a 17-win team last year to me. So, so Bryce, where are you on the record next season? Do you see them cracking 30? Are you taking the over? Yeah, so first off, guys, make sure you go read Omari on the Detroit Free Press. This article dropped Sunday morning, so go check that out. And I'm just going to kind of play buy or sell with this. Wes, shout out to your wife. I just saw her there. I don't know where she's headed, but shout out to your wife. Uh, I want you to play too, so put it in the private chat, whether you're buying or selling some of this stuff also. I am going to actually sell this one, Omari. And before Pistons fans call me you know, the negative one or anything like that, I'm actually settling somewhere between 27 and 29 wins. And so just for reference, I went back to the last four seasons. I did a lot of research for these ones today. That would put you probably average of 12th finishing in the East over the last four seasons, over the last four years. So my question is, who is this team just outwardly better than in the East? The Wizards, I know like they're kind of all over the place, but they have some talented players in Jones, Poole, Kuzma, Gafford. The Hornets still have LaMelo Ball, Rozier, Gordon Hayward, obviously often injured, P.J. Washington. The Magic have Paulo and Franz. I think the Bulls and Raptors are teams that could eventually blow it up. I'm just not sure if, when that is going to happen. So I also don't think teams are going to go full tank mode this year, Omari, with where the draft is at right now and the prospects that people are seeing. And you have the new resting policy where I think teams are going to have to continue to play some of their better players, at least when they play Detroit. I want to say this though, Omari, this isn't like a negative take by me. I think if they win 29 games, that's a huge improvement. That's 12 more wins. So I think they can win 29 games. We can feel good about that. That probably puts them at like 12th or 13th at the worst in the East. If Cade is who we think, if Jaden's take a step forward, Jalen, Asar, all of those things can happen and then not win 30, 31, 32 games. So when you mentioned just the number of teams that they would be out really better than, I think that's the I think that's the biggest argument against them winning 30 games because just on paper, there are probably at least 12 teams in the East that are just out really more talented. I mean, even when you look at Toronto and, and Chicago, and those are teams that may blow it up midway through the season or sooner, depending on how things are trending their way. But you still have Hospital Siakam. You still have DeRozan and Levine and all those guys. So, you know, that's tough. I mean, on paper, you probably pick those teams to do better than Detroit. I would pick the Pistons over the Wizards. I just don't think Jordan Poole, Kyle Kuzma, course just going to win a lot it's uh, weird you know, it's a weird combination of players man you know like i don't like defensively i just like i think that's probably the worst defensive team in the nba uh, they have a lot of young guys like they have talent i just like i'm just not buying into them as much and then the hornets they just had so much negative attention that it just seems like they're a team that like can they keep it together right like you know detroit gordon hayward to season and try to get you know the value you can for him like they could go either way like you have brandon miller of course the mellow ball is already one of the better point guards uh, in the East, you have Terry Rose there, so you have some some really key pieces there. So they could be better. I just I'm I'm, I'm just looking at the headlines they're dealing with, and I'm like I don't know if I would 
put any sort of stock when it seemed exceeding expectations. But then you have the Orlando Magic, who, if the Pistons have the year Orlando had last year, this year, then that's like a good year for them. But along with that, you do expect Orlando to take an even bigger step forward with Ben Caro and their other guys getting a year older. So it's tough. I mean, I guess with that, maybe the Pistons finish 13th, but I could also see there just being less separation from the top to the bottom this year, just with the parity that the NBA has. And also keep in mind that the Pistons weren't really a 17-win team last season. You know, they tanked down the stretch. So maybe that gets you closer to 30, I mean, to 20 last year. And then you're talking about a 10-game improvement. We saw the Cavs make a 22-game improvement a few years ago. And some of that was just the previous season. They played 72 games because of the pandemic. But along with that, we've seen teams make dramatic leaps. It would take Kay Cunningham becoming a star and some other things. But I feel like 30 is really doable for the team. It might it might just be 30. You know, I'm not saying 35 or 36, but I could see 30. Yeah, and you brought it up right there. I feel like there's only two real dominant teams in the East. So maybe the East will just be a way more compact and that will help them get some wins. The other thing is you do still have to play the West though, Amari. And there's a lot of really good teams in the West and not a whole lot of teams that are like outwardly tanking. Again, I don't think as someone who does a lot of NBA draft stuff, I just don't think we're going to see teams go straight tank mode unless they're trying to protect a protection on a pick. You know, there's a top 10 protection like what we saw Dallas do last year, but there just aren't those guys at the top right now on October 22nd, where you're just going to go full tank mode. West says sell 30 is a 13 game increase. That feels like a lot to me. So we're all over the place on this one. I think the fan base is as well. Amari, your second prediction involved Cade Cunningham. What did you think with Cade and your prediction for the upcoming season? So I predict him playing 65 plus games, which will qualify him for the most improved player award. I actually noted in my story, I don't think a number one pick should ever be in contention for most improved or really a top three or four pick. Like when Jai won it the other year, I thought that that was kind of ridiculous because he was the second overall pick in a, a, a draft that was really a two-player draft with him and Zion. So, you know, I, like I personally would not vote K for MIP for that reason. But I do think he cracked 65. Uh, he played 64 his rookie year. He had a few injuries his rookie season, of course, but uh, did make it to 64. And that included him, uh, I think, being like, you know, there's probably some games he would have played down the stretch had they been in, in playoff contention as well. And last year he played 12, so that puts him at 76 through two seasons, not a full year. Uh, to me, 65 just isn't like that high of a bar. I know the NBA made that the threshold to qualify for a worse just to limit load management, but I don't think the Pistons are probably load managed K the whole lot this year anyway, so I probably won't factor in. I think 65 plus is, is, is really doable. If you're talking like 70, 75, maybe that's a little bit tougher, but I think 65 is a good floor for him. Yeah, uh, I was buying this one, especially the part of playing 65 plus games, actually winning most improved player. I don't know. I mean, it, it would just be because he was injured last year and like coming back and all of that. But, you know, he averaged 17, five and five as a rookie in just the 12 games last year. He averaged 26, 26 and six not 26, 26 and six. And I know a lot of people question the efficiency. It's, it's completely fair to question the efficiency of Mari. We've even seen it in the preseason. But even with that, he has put up good numbers. So kind of where I spun this, and I'm interested to hear your answer, Amari. Let's say he did win comeback, or excuse me, most improved player of the year. 
what do you think Kay did to get that award? Because my two responses would be the efficiency went up and then he really became very good defensively where I think right now he's probably a net neutral on the defensive end, especially when you factor in how often he gets in foul trouble at times. So what did, kind of season do you think Cade would have to have to actually win most improved player, even if you don't think he should really be in contention. He'd have to be a bona fide superstar. Like, that's what qualified Ja a couple of years ago as he made the leap from, like, really, really good young player to unquestioned superstar. And I think that's what a lot of the voters value. Uh, there was even some talk about Luca winning it, I think, that same season, which I also thought was ridiculous because he, you know, was off, he came out the gate pretty much putting up LeBron numbers almost, so it's not like he... Like, he improved, but, I mean, come on. Uh, but I think if Kate becomes a, a true superstar, like, the Pistons exceed expectations a decent amount, and he capitalizes on the hype that he generated with his Olympic, you know, team performance out in Vegas a couple months ago, I think those things would push him toward the top of that race. And I think with the odds, he's, like, number three right now anyway. Uh, but you just want to get into the, the national conversation. I think that's the thing with Kate is that if he could insert himself into the national conversation and get, those analysts talking about him, then I think his candidacy would rise pretty significantly. And I think we saw from Team USA that people do want to talk about Cade if he's playing well, because that I know as the offseason, there wasn't a ton of storylines, but I think people will talk about Cade Cunningham. I did this for about 20 minutes with Sam Bassini over on Game Theory a couple of weeks ago. We did a quote unquote breakout, which there was all sorts of context with that. But we talked about Cade making the leap from where he's been to like a true all-star level player. Wes says, bye. I'm just not worried at all about the injuries for him. Probably sell on most improved player, though. I agree with that. Guys, I'm sorry about my voice. My high school team played a four-overtime game on Friday night. Unfortunately, we lost. It was a heartbreaker, but voice is a, a little bit rough today. Amari, last one before we go to break. We'll split these half and half. You did six. Number three was about the amazing rookie, Asar Thompson. Where did you go with your prediction for Asar? So it's funny. I actually started these predictions on Thursday uh, before they played their two preseason games. And after, like Saturday morning, I woke up and I tweaked the Asar section because it was like, the prediction is that he will lead all rookies in rebounding, right? And like Thursday, it was like, you know, like maybe there's some amount of risk to that. You know, like he's rebounding really well, but you have Wimby, you have all these, you know, bigs in this draft who could really emerge on that front. But then he went and grabbed eight Thursday and then 11 Friday and 11 was his highest. And he averaged pretty close to a double-double during preseason. He averaged 10 rebounds during summer league. There's just not a lot of evidence against him not leading all rookies and rebounding. He's been like by far the best rebounder of his class. And you can bind that with his opportunity. He'll probably be one of the few rookies to start on opening night. And like, honestly, this is probably like the most lukewarm take on that list. And it's just funny because he's a six foot six wing. So, you know, normally that would be a pretty out there prediction. But in this case, like, I just think based on talent and opportunity that he's probably, I think most people would probably gamble on him leading our rookies and rebounding because he's been fantastic on that end. I'm going to tell you, Amari, when I first saw it, I was going to sell. And then I did the research and mm -hmm. I looked at the last 10 seasons and what rookie led the NBA in rebounding. The average is right at eight rebounds per game, which, mm -hmm. by the way, it was Duran last year and Isaiah Stewart three years ago. Evan Mobley, DeAndre Ayton, Ben Simmons, Cat are some of the other ones that have done it as well. And as I look through this, a lot of these players were on not very good teams. 
whenever they did it, Nerland's Noel. So that's interesting also. But right now, through eight total games that we got in Summer League and the preseason, Asar is averaging 10.1 rebounds per game in 29 minutes played. And the thing is, I think what we've seen, Amari, and we talked about this, Asar is going to play. One way to get these kind of rebounding numbers is to play a lot of minutes. That might be why a lot of players that win this, not award, but get this distinction is because they're on bad teams where they get a lot of minutes. He's going to play a lot. For reference, Victor only averages six and a half through six summer league preseason games. Chet, seven and a half through eight summer league and preseason games. Derek Lively, 6.7. I couldn't really come up with any other name I thought really may be real competition for him. So I ended up buying. Again, I was going to sell. I ended up buying. Wes says buy, and I really hope this one ends up being true. I think it's a major part of why the Asar in the starting lineup, really any lineup, but can really work in what you've brought up, Amari, Asar potentially playing the four. No doubt. I mean, you have a guy that rebounds at that rate. Then, I mean, a lot of his vertical jump, we've seen him have some of those weak side blocks and just his timing in general. I really do think Asar could thrive as a small ball four. I mean, in my mind, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to unless it's just a rare matchup where you're probably putting him in the post a lot. And, you know, I don't know where Asar is as a, a post defender against bigger guys right now. But beyond that, yeah, his rebounding has just been upstart. And the only issue is that my next prediction may eat into Asar's rebounding, but like you can do both. I don't know if Asar averages 10 during the season just because of who he's sharing that front court with, but I still think he leads and maybe it goes down a little bit from 10, but we'll see because my next, well, are we going into break first? Hold on, Dia. Let me, let me yeah. finish up on Asar and yeah, then yeah. we'll go into break. Okay. But per synergy, I just wanted some numbers from Asar in the preseason. Amari, we talked about him not averaging 10 points a game. I think we may have been wrong. But I think we may have been wrong because he's going to get to the free throw line so much. He mm-hmm. averaged almost six free throw attempts per game. That's two and a half more than anybody else on the Piston. Mm-hmm. He drew four fouls per game, which is 1.3 more per game than anyone else on the Pistons. This guy is just drawing all sorts of fouls, getting to the free throw line. He was three of seven on unguarded catch and shoot three pointers. Super, super, super small sample size. Almost not even worth bringing it up. I get it, but he did hit a few. I still think the biggest area of growth, we brought it up on the last episode. He was two of 10 on layups in just the half court. So take away dunks, take away putbacks, take away transition. Just when he gets downhill to the rim, he struggled to finish a little bit. But that's something with his athleticism and body control. Maybe that grows throughout the year. But I think maybe where we shortchanged him on our conversation so far is actually how many points he averages with the minutes he's going to get and his ability to get to the free throw line. No doubt. And I actually wrote about his free throws after Friday's game because along with that, he only played the first half of that game. No, he only played the first, I think, three quarters of that game on Friday. So, like, you could probably just round that up to six, you know, free throw attempts per game, which, for one, like, free throws, like, getting to the rim is one of the markers between, like, really good players and, like, stars. Like, you know, star scorers typically get to the line a lot, so that bodes really well for him. But the other thing with that is he did shoot four of ten from three, so he actually aced his, you know, first test as a shooter. He only shot around 67% at the line, so you want to see that go up. But even if he's not shooting the ball super well, if he's generating that rim pressure, then that makes up for it a lot. So, I mean, his issues finishing, you know, that's something that'll probably limit him next season. He's got some things to iron out, but 
as a whole, just his athleticism pops in so many different metrics that he really is going to be an outlier. I think not just in rebounding, but in other areas as well. Free throws being one of those. All right. We are going to go to a short break now. When we come back, Omari has predictions on Jalen Duran, the Pistons potentially making some trades and where they will rank in three point percentage. All right, we are back. And this was probably the biggest shot I took with my predictions. But I have Jalen Duran averaging at least 12 points and 12 rebounds last season. So here's my basis behind that, right? He averaged 9 and 9 last year and 25 minutes per game. He's likely going to start this year. So you bump that up to 30 minutes. That basically already puts him at a double double, an 11 and 11 double double. So just. You know, him starting, him playing with Cade, who, you know, should open him up for more lob opportunities. The rebounding metrics were just really, really phenomenal last year. He outjumps most centers. He's physical. Uh, he's really gifted on that end. I think 12 and 12 is very possible. And the only reason I think what fights against that is just the fact that only two players did it last year. So that's a pretty, that's, it's pretty rare territory to be in. And then even you look at it, like players who average 11 rebounds, it's like seven, eight guys, and most of them are stars. So that would really, put Jalen Duran into a different, I think, category of center. But 12 and 12 to me is very realistic. But, you know, I, I don't think you are as high on that as I am, Bryce. I'm curious to hear your rebuttal. No, it's not like I'm completely against it. And yeah. I, I think he's going to average a double-double. Like, I think it's going to be yeah. 10 and 10. I just went through the numbers. So you said it, 9 and 9 last season, 25 minutes a game. He averaged 12 and 8 in college, again, in 25 minutes per game. I think my biggest thing, Omari, is... I'm not sure how many more minutes he's actually going to play this year anchoring the defense. And I still, it's not a concern, but I text Wes the other day watching the Thursday night game. I said, Wes, it's six minutes in. Jalen Duran looks gassed already. I actually think it's in his best interest to only play him 25 to 28 minutes a night in somewhat short spurts. I don't, like the idea of playing him 10, 12 minutes in a row. That's just me. It's not even a knock on him. He's still a young kid. This takes some time just to grow into your body and figure some of that stuff out. So that's not an overwhelming negative. I just don't know the minutes are going to skyrocket to 33, 34 minutes a night. And then I did the, the research like you as well. Only four and a half players on average over the last 10 years have averaged more than 12 rebounds a game. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not sure that I'm going to say that Jalen Duran is one of those guys, especially as you alluded to, if we think Asar is going to get eight plus rebounds and if Isaiah Stewart is playing at the four, whether the fan base likes it or not, obviously it was a rough preseason for Stu from beyond the three-point line. He's going to eat up some rebounds. I actually think one thing James Wiseman has done is rebound the ball well in the minutes he got, Bagley as well. So I just, I'm not sure if the opportunities are there. I'm not like pound the table against it. I'm just leaning towards sell. And our guy Wes is sell on rebounding, not the points though. So he's over 12 points per game for Jalen Duran, which I also agree with that. Yeah, and that's all very fair. I mean, again, just 12 and 12 is just not something that happens very often. Like one of the guys who did it last year was Sabonis. And of course, he's an, an all-star. So, you know, that's just, it's a tough category to crack. And then along with that, there are only so many rebounds available per game. And like you mentioned, Isaiah Stewart is a good rebounder. And the star who I have leading our rookies in rebounding is also a great rebounder. So I don't know if there's 12 left for Duran in that sense. I think along with that, just Isaiah Stewart playing more of a perimeter game will eat into his rebounding. So if Isaiah Stewart's rebounding goes down to like 
you know, like six, seven. Now maybe that opens things up a little bit more. But again, I think it would be really... Because like Kate is a good rebounder for a guard too, right? So you have Audis Plus rebounders on the floor. There's only so many available. So if there's anything, I think along with the menace, it's just the fact that Durant's playing with other plus rebounders and there's just not enough for him to be able to average that many. But I think talent-wise, he has the capability. It's just minutes and an opportunity. All right. So according to team rankings, the Pistons were number 26 in the league last year in field goal percentage against. So you just said something that kind of triggered with me. If this defense does get any better, Omari, and they're forcing more misses, that's where more opportunities come from. Now, on the other hand, if this team is actually better offensively and is making more shots, we know that one thing Jalen Duran really thrived at as a rookie was actually on the offensive boards. And so will there be less of those for him to go get? So there are a lot of different factors here. Again, I wasn't just like hard sell, no chance, whatever. I also kind of wanted to have some fun here. I didn't want to buy and agree on every single one of these. And so that was another one where I felt a little more comfortable selling. The next one, Amari, has to do with potentially the NBA tread de- deadline and some of the veterans on the roster. Yeah, I had the Pistons trading two of their veterans by the trade deadline, which, well, for one, Trey Weaver is not going through a deadline without making some sort of moves. So, you know, I think the odds of them making some of her swing this year, you know, it's, it's fairly high. Maybe not swing, but some sort of move being in the, in the works. But I think along with that, it's just the fact that uh, Boyan Bogdanovic, he's only partially guaranteed for $2 million next summer, so that's essentially an expiring contract. And then Alec Burks, Montaigne Morris, and Joe Harris are all on expirings as well. All of these guys are plus shooters, meaning that they could help pretty much any playoff team. And just with the parity in the NBA, I'm sure that there will be teams who are looking to get into that next echelon of talent and we'll be looking for veterans that maybe they could flip, you know, maybe a, a young player who's not getting minutes or like some second round picks or something for, and the Pistons just have incentive to not lose those guys for anything. So if you're not planning on resigning them during the off season and they will have cap space next summer, you know, they'll have to possibly extend somebody, you know, so that might eat into it. But along with that, I just, I like on paper, it just seems like this team is going to make some moves. You also have that backcourt log jam with all the young guys back there. And then you have Alec Burks and Monte Morris. So it just seems like at least one of those veterans will be traded at some point. And I think two is also just as likely just given that you want to get something of value for those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a crossroads of how much are these guys playing and what is their market? Because at the end of the day, I don't know that any of these guys are on the roster next year. Like you want that cap space next offseason. And I know this is like poison pill to Pistons fans. They they are so tired of cap space and it not getting used. But I think the team wants that flexibility as we've heard. And so I think it really comes down to, is Monty the actual second unit point guard, Amari? Or has Killian Hayes truly taken a leap? As we've seen in the chat here, a lot of people talking about Marcus Sasser and rightfully so. If both of those guys are playing really well, then where are the minutes for Monte Morris? Why are you just going to have him be your sixth guard when you can get something of value? Maybe you at least get the return that you gave up for him. I, I don't like that move overall. I think Monte Morris was brought in to actually play, but maybe he wasn't. Same thing with Boyan. You know, if Asar comes around, if Stewart can actually shoot, all of those different things I think are going to determine do you keep these guys on the roster for the whole season? and just let him expire in the offseason? Or can you actually get some value for him? And it also depends on how many games they've won by the trade deadline. 
are they in contention to actually maybe get a play-in spot or something like that? Because if they are, maybe you keep them around to really make that push. Maybe you get a meaningful play-in game if things just go you know, sky high, hit the ceiling. Or if you're not even close, sell them off, get the assets you can and let the young guys finish out the season. And Wes gives us a sell, but only because I don't think Killian counts as a vet. So Wes thinks Killian is getting traded. So, yeah, and you raised some valid points there. And I think this is one that's really hard to predict just because, you know, I do think record will play into that. I was going to make that point of if you're in the play and hunt, like firmly in the play and hunt and you think you can do it, maybe you don't mess with it too much and you just allow this team to, you know, try to make it as deep of a run as it can, right? So there's a lot of stuff that I think is tough to predict this early. But, you know, I think the bottom line is regardless of if the good, the team is good or bad or whatever position they're in, you'd still face the question of, do you want to lose these guys for nothing? And you could potentially still make a, a trade, maintain some flexibility over the summer and also still aid that playoff push as well. So a lot of factors there. But again, you have these guys with expiring contracts and they could all shoot. So it just it seems likely that the Pistons will get a lot of calls, more and more calls as they lead up to February. Speaking of three-point shooting, Amari, let's get to your last one and what you predict the Pistons will do from behind the three-point line. Yeah, I think we'll see a pretty good bump in their three-point percentage. I believe they were 21st or 22nd last year. Yeah, 21st in three-point percentage at 35.1. And I mentioned in my story that if you just add a percentage point to that, if they were 36.1 from three, then that ties them at 16th of Chicago, you know, which is basically the median, right? So if they could top that 36% this season, then more than likely they are probably an above average three-point shooting team. And again, we've talked about the shooting they have with the vets. You also have Isaiah Livers who will come back eventually. And you have some guys in, in Ivy and Kate who could really take steps forward as shooters this season. So even just with the three-point shooting they have amongst their vets, it just seems like they should be able to crack that. You know, Joe Harris is like a career 30. 43, 44% guy. And after his preseason, I I would buy Joe Harris stock. I think he's going to be a guy who could really make a difference this season. And probably not that strong of a, of a take, honestly. Like, I just think this team should shoot the ball better. If they don't improve substantially from last year, then something went very wrong because on paper, this team should be one of the better shooting teams in the NBA. So the last five seasons, they've ranked 21st, 29th, 21st, 9th, and 24th. I think one of those seasons, we saw a historically bad start from the three-point line for the Pistons. I remember it just being miserable to watch some of those games. The five-year average for 15th in the NBA is 35.9%. The five-year average for the Pistons is 34.8%. So they're only 1.1% below the five-year average for being right at league average from three. People are bringing up Asar in the chat. I don't think Asar factors into this because I think Asar is going to show discretion from the three-point line, Amari. I think you said he went four of 10. So he only shot 10 in all of the minutes. And in one of those games, he shot three in the first six minutes of the game and he went two of three and then didn't shoot another one the rest of the night. So, I mean, he factors in but I don't think he's going to take so many where it's a huge factor. You mentioned all the vets. Sasser was a good shooter in college, 40% the preseason. Here are the X factors for me. These are the four guys who I think really factor into where this ends up being. Cade, career 31%. I hope, really hope it improves. I've talked about it at length. I think it improves. 
Ivy was 34% as a rookie, really good on catch and shoot. I think he at least maintains. Stewart, 33% last season. We know he's going to take a lot just 19% in the preseason Omari. So that's a huge X factor because right now teams are going to dare him to shoot it and he's got to be able to knock him down. And then Killian Hayes, if he's going to play the minutes that a lot of people are talking about, all of a sudden there's a lot of Killian Hayes should be in the starting lineup conversation, career 27% from the three-point line. Now he can show discretion, but he's going to be playing off the ball if he's playing with Cade even if he's playing with Jaden Ivey, Monte Morris in the second units. So those are the guys that I think are X factors. For the record, I buy, and Wes says he'll buy this one as well. Is this the first one we've all bought? I um, think so. I sold one. We all bought Cade playing 65-plus okay. games, but not him winning most improved player. Okay. We all bought Asar leading rookies in rebounding as well, I think. Yeah, so there's been a few here. Okay, yeah, so we had a few. Yeah, I mean, I agree, you know, with everything you said, Bryce. Some of that will just be, you know, the guys who have not historically been great shooters. How many threes do they take? You know, Killing is not necessarily a high-volume three-point shooter, and neither is a SAR. So even if they, if both of them fail to crack 30%, that probably doesn't change things too much. But along with that, like, Monty Williams has talked, a lot about just making sure that there's enough spacing on the floor, uh, you know, for the Kate during pick and roll to thrive. He's he's very pro spacing as many coaches in today's league are. So I would think that that would lead to him favoring guys who can really knock down shots. And he's going to have to find that balance between shooting and defense because a lot of the best defenders on this team are not guys who could shoot and vice versa. So you're going to have to mix and match a bit and it'll probably depend on on matchups as well. But Again, on paper, I think they have everything they need to be one of the better shooting teams. And the only thing that could really ruin it is if you trade some of those vets who shoot well at the deadline and then the three-point percentage tanks a little bit in those last two months, which, of course, is something that could happen. Amari, we get real, real NBA basketball on Wednesday from the Detroit Pistons. I think the kickoff opening night is Tuesday night. But the next time we record, Amari, we'll have real substantial, meaningful, where the records count, the stats count, all of that stuff for our next recording in the next how many ever months. I know I'm excited. I know you're excited to do the job that, you know, you do. This is, you know, what you do for the next six months. You travel, you cover the team, you do interviews. It's busy, but I know you love it. Wes, we get real basketball, my guy. Finally, I know this is exciting for you. If you aren't listening to Wes and Jack over on DVB Live every week, you should be because they do a great job. And I had an exciting announcement for them that they're going to podcast as well on Apple, Spotify, on the Detroit. Detroit Bad Boys, Apple, Spotify feed. So make sure you're listening to those guys. Plenty of Pistons content to go around. Omari, this was awesome. Thanks again to Arn Tellum. Take it away, my guy. Absolutely. And I'll also mention that because the Pistons have a lot of Monday games coming up, we will likely drop next week's episode on Wednesday just so that we're not recording Monday night at like midnight. We did that last season here and there and it works. But, you know, like I have stuff to do, you know, the next day we record. Bryce, of course, has a lot going on being it a father. It's late, late nights, Amari. It's just, it's just late nights, and we figured it's probably easier to just record Tuesday when that happened. Just save some of our energy and not sound like we're half asleep on the pot, which I think we for sure did a few times last season because we retired. So uh, we will drop on Wednesday some weeks. If there's a Monday game, you could probably just assume that we'll drop Wednesday instead of Tuesday. And, you know, and we'll always try to give a heads up as well, whether that's on Twitter or on the pod itself. So 
at this point, we think we have a loyal enough following that people will not be too thrown off by the Wednesday drops. If it's confusing, we'll change it back up. But that's our current plan for now. So don't be surprised if, don't be alarmed if you don't, don't get the episode Tuesday. It's going to drop the next day. Yep, absolutely. Take it away. All right. And I'll close this out. Big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkman Crawford. And big shout out to Wes as always. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.